Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to another podcast in Viper Week. Today, today, we are going to be diving into an article on Rotor Track. Basically, it's a review from their archives of the 1992 Dodge Viper of the original Dodge Viper. Dodge's Viper RT-10 strikes with all the performance and venom of the legendary Cobra. Let's get into it, y'all. This article originally appeared in the October 1992 issue of Rodent Track. Hollywood, California, cruising Sunset Boulevard, top down in the sensational new Dodge Viper RT-10. The late afternoon sun has dipped behind the mountains on the surprisingly balmy November day. On the sidewalks, an eclectic mix of recording industry executives, tourists, boutique store operators, and street people are stirring. Out over the Viper's long, curvaceous hood, an endless row of red stoplights stretches out before me as rush hour traffic clogs the twilight. I'm inching along in first gear now, and it gives me pause to reflect. It has been two days since I first keyed the Viper to life. Some 300 miles later, a driving route that included freeway cruising, delicious cut-and-thrust twisty bits, wicked mountain switchbacks, wide-open stretches of high desert, and some apex-clipping hot laps at Willow Springs Raceway has offered me a full measure of quality man-meets-machine bonding time. And with a tangled nest of split ends that passes for hair, I have the Viper do to prove it. Heady stuff, all. But now, stuck in traffic, I have time to refocus on the cultural wake this roadster is creating. In Hollywood, where anything and everything goes, one would think that very little gets anyone's attention. A quick scan of the Viper's perimeter, and I can't help noticing. People are staring. Traversing this strip of surreal real estate in Dodge's V10 Wonder, I feel about as discreet as Hannibal sacking Rome. The Viper turns heads. It elicits whoops and haulers of approval. A pair of young Turks in a Toyota MR2 let loose with a lusty catcall of the sort usually reserved for the LA Lakers cheerleaders. A middle-aged couple in a Bronco with Indiana plates pull up alongside and flash the thumbs up sign. A biker who could pass one of the Grateful Dead chugs his Harley even with the Viper to cut a gap-toothed smile and a nod of recognition. Dig it, man. The Harley hog of sports cars, he says. When conversation is possible, people in cars or on the street query. So, how's the Viper? Or, Iacocca actually pulled it off, didn't he? No confusing this wonderfully outrageous red two-seater with some VW-powered kick car or high-dollar techno marvel. When is the last time an American car, let alone one from Chrysler, has caused such a stir? Why? For starters, the Viper's visage is imposing. A menacing wide-mouth grill and animalistic polyellipsoid headlamps look as though they just made a long journey up the river Styx. Hints of the Viper's inspirational forebear, the Shelby Cobra 427, are recognizable in the curved haunches of the rear fenders, and the basic honesty of the instrument panel in the muscular bulges of the hood and front fenders. The Viper sits low and wide, as if ready to uncoil with explosive force at a moment's notice. At 75.7 inches, it's wider than a Corvette ZR1 or a Ferrari 348. Standing just 44.0 inches high, the Viper squats lower than a Ferrari F40 or a Tesla Rosa and is more than 2.5 inches lower than the Acura NSX. 
Reptilian gill-like vents at the rear edges of the front fenders give a hint of the MASSIVE V10 engine that lies beneath the Viper's hood, and their functional heat exchangers too. The crowning bad-to-the-bone touch is the side-mounted exhaust pipes, the first such device is standard on a production car in 25 years. Viper sold in the state of Connecticut in 1993 models exported to Europe will have a rear exit exhaust still under development because side pipes are illegal there. A Targa-like structural bar hints of the roaster version of the Ford GT40, flying in the face of more sophisticated exotics with their climate-controlled cockpits, the Viper sports an open-air nature that validates the notion that the pleasures of driving it are of this earth. Light on the encounterments, heavy on the performance hardware, the Viper is about as different from traditional Chrysler fare, keg cars, minivans, padded vinyl roof New Yorkers, and Jeeps as one could imagine. A two-seat, open sports car powered by an all-aluminum V10 with rear drive, a tube frame, and a plastic body. Sounds like something conjured up in Heathel, Marinello, or Munich. Certainly not the Motor City. Headed by a GM escapee, executive engineer Roy H. Schuberg, Team Viper consists of 85 carefully screened car nuts from within Chrysler who volunteered to work on the project. Huddled in a warehouse like Skunk Works, in a semi-seedy section of West Detroit, previously the old AMC Jeep-slash-truck engineering building, the Viper development project represented something of a mini Manhattan project for Chrysler, rushing the roadster from concept to dealer showrooms in a scant 36 months. And though every dimension and body panel have been changed to meet federal safety regulations or production line realities, the Viper remains true to the form of the original showstopper that wowed him on the Chrysler turntable at the 1989 North American International Auto Show in Detroit. See Road and Track April 1999. If a committee has been at work here, it's not the proverbial camel-causing confab that Detroit's been infamous for. The Viper now has 5 mph bumpers, a legal height windshield, Passive seatbelts, side exit exhaust that meets stringent noise guidelines, European homologated lighting systems, huge 13.0 inch disc brakes, and full emissions controls. By the time you read this, the Viper will have begun production out of the small Newmark Avenue facility in East Detroit, formerly a shop where Chrysler built prototypes. There, between 120 and 160 workers, dubbed craftspersons and organized into groups of five, will essentially hand-assemble Vipers with the help of computerized inspection equipment. A scant 200 cars will be produced in model year 1992. By 1993, planned production rises to 2,000 cars. Sales to Europe beginning as well. Ultimately, Chrysler says it can build 3,000 to 5,000 Vipers per year, but that may be overestimating the size of the open two-seat near-exotic niche. As a point of reference, Shelby built just under 400 Cobra 427s in two years, and Honda is having more difficulty than expected selling its annual U.S. allotment of 3,000 Acura NSXs. Time will tell if a single-purpose car with no outside door handles, roll-up windows, automatic transmission, or factory air conditioning can sell in the projected numbers. Initially, anyway, a two-year Dodge Viper waiting list and stratospheric dealer premiums are a near certainty. But enough of history and conjecture. The Viper's appeal is unabashedly emotional. The adrenaline starts pumping and the revelations begin the moment you lay eyes upon this retro roadster. As with the Cobra and numerous classic British roadsters, there are no outside door handles. You reach inside and with a backhand flip, you pull open the inside door release handle. 
That long black object brushing against your pant leg is the engine exhaust side pipe, and just upstream of it is one of the car's two catalytic converters. If the car's been running recently, it's best to stay clear. A large, prominently placed sticker at the rear of each door opening exclaims, WARNING! HOT EXHAUST PIPES BELOW DOOR OPENING! AVOID CONTACTING THIS AREA! A 3mm thick layer of Nomex minimizes heat transfer into, or Nomex, minimizes heat transfer into the cabin. A short, easy hike over the sill and side pipes puts you into a supportive, no-nonsense bucket seat that seems to fit drivers short or tall, large or small. Aside from the pipes, ingress and egress are much easier than in, say, a Corvette. There are but two adjustments, seat back rake and fore aft. No others are necessary. The passive restraints are door-mounted belts with well-located outboard, outboard anchor points. Merely close the door and buckle the passive belts as you would in a Nissan NX or Chevy Lumina. The footwell is not cramped, but because the pedals are shifted to the left to clear the front midship's engine configuration, there's no room remaining for a dead pedal. Seated at the controls, a leather-wrapped, three-spoke steering wheel of robust construction beckons you to the open road. There's a wonderfully simple, yet attractive instrument layout with a 7,000 RPM tachometer, 180 mph speedometer, and warning lamp binnacles centered in front of the driver. Auxiliary gauges for coolant temperature, oil pressure, fuel level, and volts trail off to the right. The Viper's gauges have a dual personality, gray faces with black pointers and lettering by day, backlit pointers and lettering in a vibrant yellow with red highlights at night. Rounding out the minimalist dash are a simple push-pull headlamp switch, fog lamp toggles, rotary controls for heating and ventilation, but not air conditioning, and the one obvious concession to sybaritic conduct, a six-speaker AM slash FM stereo slash cassette, which Chrysler Wags insist is enjoyable up to 100 miles per hour. Slide in a Steppenwolf tape, select Born to be Wild, and you're off. The Viper has a high driveline tunnel, which also houses structural members that help account for its outstanding 5,000 pound-feet per degree torsional stiffness. Sprouting somewhat awkwardly out of the tunnel is the handbrake, borrowed from the LeBaron convertible and the six-speed shifter. The Viper's gear shift has relatively long throws, but easy to find. Precise gates allow slam-dunk shifts or just puttering around town. What looks like tasteful gray, crackle-finished plastic on the dash, doors, and tunnel is actually structural urethane foam trim, the first on a U.S.-built car. Another first on a modern production car is Viper's all-aluminum V10 engine. As it should be, this 400-horsepower, 8-liter, 488-cubic-inch power plant is Viper's heart and soul. Derived from a similar V10 of the same displacement with cast iron heads and block that's scheduled to appear in Dodge trucks in 1993, the Viper's V10 architecture is essentially that of Chrysler's small block 5.9 liter or 360 cubic inch V8 with two cylinders grafted on. As with the 427 Cobra, the Viper V10 strong suit is prodigious torque. Though it peaks with 450 pound-feet at 3,600 RPM, the V10's torque curve is a broad plateau extending from 1,500 to 5,500 RPM. A sequential multi-point fuel injection system with bottom-fed injectors, dual throttle bodies, and dual plenums provides excellent drivability, and tuned intake runners give a ram-tuning effect between 2,000 and 4,000 RPM. Early in the Viper program, Lamborghini Engineering was brought in for its exper expertise with high-performance aluminum block engines. 
Among the numerous improvements Lamborghini made to the aluminum V10 is a Formula 1 inspired external coolant manifold running alongside the block. As a result, the engine has the lowest coolant temperature rise of any engine Chrysler has ever built. Casting the block and heads from aluminum also has a weight benefit, saving 100 pounds compared with the truck V10. Also of interest from a material standpoint are the Viper's magnesium valve covers and cast steel tuned exhaust headers, a close fit within the Viper's frame rails. Fire up the engine and all of this specification talk fades away. Because of the uneven firing pulses occurring at 90 and 54 degrees of the crankshaft rotation, the exhaust note is sort of a macho staccato chugga chugga with a slight wheeze. I grew up on Mopars in the 1960s, so I can say this. On first blush, the Viper song sounds a bit sour, like two slant six Plymouth Valiants, each down a cylinder with pinholes in their mufflers. Commuting to college in a Valiant with a pinhole in its muffler, I thought it sounded cool, silly youth. The Viper's phonics won't remind you of Sebring 1966, or the NHRA Winter Nationals, or Talladega, or even today's Bo Bo's Big Boy on a Saturday night. A street hemi, it's not, but you get used to it. You even get conditioned in a sort of a positive Pavlovian response to the Viper's exhaust sound because of the zoom things that happen as the sound gets louder. Getting the Viper, Mini Catalyst, Walker side pipes and all to pass noise regulations was no small task. The big V10 breathes quite well up to its 6,000 RPM redline, and the pipes keep the exhaust in below the federal 80 decibels threshold. An all-new Borgwarner T56 6-speed transmission and hydraulically actuated 12-inch clutch get the Viper in gear and down the road in a hurry. The Borgwarner engineers claim to have paid special attention to the gear tooth micro-finish and gear spacing. The result is a truly modern, quiet, easy-shifting, close-ratio transmission with two overdrive gears. Not at all like the crash boxes of yore. It's certainly quieter than the Corvette's ZF 6-speed. And like the other popular brands across town, the Viper's box has a computer-aided 1-2-4 shift to help with the EPA City Cycle Fuel Mileage Rating, thereby minimizing the gas, gas guzzler tax. When puttering along in first gear in the 15-25 to mph speed range with a warm engine, and under steady part throttle, the computer blocks the 1-2 gate and ensures that any shift you make is into fourth gear. Although the V10 is dozing at idle speed at 20 miles per hour in fourth, it doesn't protest a bit. No automatic transmission is offered. Aft of the gearbox, a short aluminum drive shaft goes to a limited slip 3.07 to 1 Dana 44 differential. Fresh out of the box, Chrysler claims supercar straight line performance numbers 0 to 60 in 4.5 seconds and the quarter mile in 12.9 seconds at 113 miles per hour. I had the opportunity to hook up a Viricon performance computer for a half dozen runs to validate my seat of the pants observations. With photographer Brian Blades and all his gear aboard and running in 95 degree heat at 35,000 feet above sea level, I managed a 4.9 second best 0 to 60 and a 13.2 second at 109 mile per hour quarter mile run. So the Chrysler estimates sound reasonable. The Viper slithers forth wearing a composite skin formed largely by the resin transfer molding RTM process. Only the lower front body enclosure is formed of sheet molded compound, which is also found on the Corvette. Both materials can be loosely described as fiberglass. The newer RTM process is used on such European sports cars such as the Lotus Elan and Esprit, BMW Z1, and the Alfa Romeo SZ. Underneath the Viper's sinewy skin is a surprisingly rigid tubular steel backbone frame. 
Many open cars have all the structural integrity of an open shoebox, but the Viper Stout Skeleton provides a solid platform for the chassis components. During two days of aggressive driving over a variety of road surfaces, I never detected any cowl shake or steering column wiggle. As benefits a classic sports car, the Viper sports fully independent suspension with unequal length upper and lower control arms at each corner. With the exception of the front lower control arms, these pieces are fabricated from tubular steel. Engineers discovered that the Dodge Dakota pickup truck lower control arms had just the, just the geometry they were seeking and adapted them to the Viper. Two stabilizing tow links are used with the rear lower control arms. Low pressure gas charged Coney coilover damper and spring assemblies and front and rear anti-roll bars round out the underpinnings. Jounce to rebound, the Viper suspension has a full 8 inches of travel, so rough roads don't upset the car's balance. Furthermore, roll, dive, and swat are well controlled. Steering is by power-assisted rack and pinion, also adapted from the Dakota pickup truck. It offers positive on-center feel, response is immediate, and obedient. Part and parcel of the Viper's animalistic aura is a 17-inch tire and aluminum wheel package. The fender is bulging as if straining to contain the tremendous mechanical strength that lies just beneath the surface. The rear tires, Michelin XGT P335-35ZR17s, are more than a foot wide, larger than the Corvette ZR1s and the same size as those on the Lamborghini Diablo. Claimed lateral acceleration for the Viper is 0.95G, which seems plausible to me. Inboard lie monster brakes, 13-inch vented discs with Brembo calipers, no ABS is available. Team Viper works very hard to build a hands-on machine that matches or betters the performance of the legendary 427 Cobra. One of the goals foremost in the minds of Chrysler engineers was the Cobra's vaunted 0 to 100 to 0 mile per hour time of 15.0 seconds. The Viper guys claim their state can do it in 14.5 seconds. That's right, standing start to 100 miles per hour to a dead stop in 14.5 seconds. Road and Track Engineering Editor Dennis Simanitis did a little calculating, and if Chrysler's braking claims are true, the Viper is capable of a best-in-class 211-foot stopping distance from 80 miles per hour, matching the Porsche 911 Turbo. But let's not kid ourselves. The Viper isn't about numbers. It's about unbridled emotion on wheels. It's about explosive locomotion and the power to blast to 100 miles per hour or 150 miles per hour at will without working out a sweat. It's about balance and a 50-50 weight distribution that lets a skilled driver arm wrestle difficult corners, approach and dance on the edge of the laws of physics without computer intervention. With a deep well of torque, you can accelerate out of corners faster, and with the massive binders, it's possible to brake later. The Viper is sending little ripples of excitement through the ranks of Motor City car nuts and Mopar fans alike. The sort of excitement not experienced since the days of Hemi Kudas, 446-pack Dodge Challengers, and winged Charger Daytonas. It has rekindled passions for an all-conquering, brawny engine, front midships roadster. Passions that have been smoldered since the last 427 Shelby Cobras. As Team Viper leader Roy Schuberg put it, Chrysler intended to build a legend. Chrysler President Bob Lutz summed it up this way, Viper is not for everyone. This car is only for the enthusiast who wants a great driving car and nothing more. Strapped into the passenger seat of a Viper alongside Cobra sire Carol Shelby at Willow Springs Raceway, 
I felt tingles of nostalgia as he eased the V10 Roadster onto the track. With Carol blasting up through the gears, I mused about the curious twists and turns that have occurred since the last Cobra was built. The oil shocks of 1973 through 1974 and 1979, the rush to Me Too front drive cars, the business failures of numerous exotic car entrepreneurs, the terribly bastardized Chrysler TC by Maserati, the seeming lack of an adventurous spirit in the Motor City. With the advantage of 25 years of hindsight, I just had to ask Carol if he ever dreamed of a car as exciting as his 427 Cobra would be built again. He half turned, smiled broadly, and shook his head no as we entered a series of delicious sweepers. Sometimes, when you're driving the Dodge Viper RT10, non-verbal communication is all that's needed. And that marks the end of the article. And to me, it really goes to show that the Viper wasn't always known as, oh, it has a tractor gear shift and it's heavy, it's imprecise, and it's, it's crude, it's blah, 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 even though the original RT10 was crude. But people weren't saying that about the Viper all the time. They weren't even saying that with its inception. Not all of it. Maybe the crude interior, but not the fact that it couldn't handle it with you know, all this anti-Viper Kool-Aid talk. That wasn't true. The period pieces, and I've read more than just this one, all the Viper period pieces that I have read say largely the same thing, that this is an exciting, engaging sports car, especially an unexpected one to come from Chrysler. So if anyone if anyone says, oh, Viper's always been this, it's always been noticed, that's like, no, nah, that's not what the original that's not what the original review said. The original reviews painted a very different picture, and then I guess as the car aged or as times changed or as new journals came into play, then we started getting all of the typical Viper talking points that we see now and have seen for at least the last decade, at least the last 15 years. Well, maybe not 15 years, at least the last 12. In any case, so I hope you all enjoyed that period piece about the original Viper. It's always great to go back through history and see what people thought of the Viper when it came out in its heyday, right? If you enjoyed this Viper Week episode, and I really hope you did, please make sure you like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, then please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do actually subscribe, thank you. I really do appreciate that. Please make sure you hit the little notification bell and then all notifications. That way you're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have or want the Podbean mobile app, no problem. Here's the solution. Wherever you get your podcast, before you set off, type in Cody's Car Conundrum and then choose the episode you want to listen to. Another Viper Week episode is coming up tomorrow. In the meantime, though, I hope you all enjoyed. I will see you then. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full-throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.